Hello, everyone. It's my pleasure to welcome you once again to our online liturgy and to serve you in this capacity as we continue in our teaching series entitled, When You Are Searching For Answers to Questions That Come That Are Deep and Sometimes Heart-Wrenching. This morning, we are going to turn our attention to another psalm, Psalm 27. But before we get into our psalm, one of the things that has been an alarming fallout of this pandemic in which we find ourselves is the astounding increase in anxiety. In chatting with our Compassion Care pastor recently, I was reminded that in the days ahead, the kind of care that we are going to need to be attending to is going to focus around the area as much on mental health and well-being as almost anything else, and in particular, anxiety. In 2014, a survey was conducted among Canadians, and it found, among other things, that in 2013, the year that was studied, approximately 11.6% or 3 million Canadians over the age of 18 had indicated that they at one point had been suffering from a, either a mood or an anxiety disorder. More than a quarter, 27%, said that this disorder had affected their lives, their capacity to function in their work and at home. And while the majority had consulted uh, health professionals about their disorder, only uh, approximately a quarter, 23%, had not. Now, why all these statistics on anxiety disorder and so on? Well, I want to say a word to those of you who may be watching for whom this is a part of your life and your reality. And my concern is that I'm afraid that as Christians at times we have demonized anxiety. And we even have a proof text that would suggest that maybe being anxious is a sinful thing. Because don't you know the Bible says be anxious for nothing. What I find interesting is that we don't talk about other diseases in the same way. We don't talk about diabetes or cancer in the same way as we do sometimes with mental illness. But there are many causes, of course, that have been identified when it comes to anxiety. These can include stress from result that result from work or home or, or relationships, emotional trauma, financial concerns, uh, stress caused by chronic, uh, serious medical conditions. Sometimes it is an addiction. Sometimes it is other things that have come into one's life. And of course, there are numerous remedies. You just have to go online, walk into Indigo Books, and you'll find all kinds of remedies to help relieve stress. We are concerned, of course, that we eat properly, that we get the right amount of sleep, that we exercise daily, and that we perhaps even use relaxation techniques or availing ourselves to the help of a professional. And I commend all of these. I've benefited myself from all of these. But, but there is also a spiritual dimension that I think our psalm that we want to look at this, today addresses when it comes to this matter of anxiety. You know, the amazing thing about Psalm 27, and that, that this is, comes from the pen 
of a man who knew what anxiety was all about. In fact, I would venture to say that David, the psalmist, experienced anxiety to the degree and depth I never have, and perhaps many, if not most of us, ever have. So what I'd like us to do, Psalm 27 is 14 verses long, and I'm going to take the time and we're going to read the whole psalm. I had a good conversation with a good friend of mine who I have utmost respect for named Doug. We talked about we need an apologize for reading long passages of scripture. In, in fact, I'd say to you who are listening, if you're finding what I'm saying in the next little while less than scintillating, then read the psalm. In fact, memorize the psalm. Be far better. Anyways, so here we have Psalm 27. And as I read this, friends, remember, this is the word of God. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in the shelter in the day of, his, of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies and all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart said to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O oh God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O oh Lord, and lead me in the level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Join me as we pray. Father, as we turn our hearts and minds to your word, would you guide us by your Holy Spirit, he who inspired its writings, and take these truths from the pages of scripture to apply them to our hearts. I ask you would keep me out of the way and allow Jesus to be made large in our hearts, our homes, and wherever we may be. For we ask it in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 27. What a great psalm. My guess is many of you have got it memorized, but what becomes very clear when we jump into this psalm right from the very beginning is that David has 
is writing from a, a, an occasion of great anxiety. These are anxious times for David. And he's expressing his anxiety. And I am so grateful that God allowed David to express his concerns and his anxious concerns. And furthermore, that he included those expressions in scripture, like Psalm 27, among others that we could look at. Now, this psalm has got such breadth and depth that we're not going to be able to go through it verse by verse. So I'm going to do uh, an exegetical equivalent of what I love to do in Scotland, that is do a hill walk. We're going to just stand on a couple of peaks along the way. All right? If it's not all right, that's too bad because I'm preaching. However, let's look at this and let's answer this question. When you are searching for, how do you find relief from anxiety? And I'm going to suggest there are three things that we see from this psalm. One we're going to come to in verse 4 that says, We can find relief from anxiety by gazing on the beauty of the Lord. Secondly, we're going to look at verse 8, 7 and 8. We can find relief from anxiety by seeking the face of the Lord. And thirdly, we come to the end of the psalm, verse 14. We can find relief from anxiety by waiting on the Lord. Now, this psalm begins with a wonderful declaration of confidence. And it's important that we notice when David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. He does not say, The Lord gives me hope, or gives me light, gives me salvation, provides me shelter. Rather, he says, He is my salvation. He is my light. He is my refuge. And because of that, he asks these two rhetorical questions. And what he's doing here is exercising Hebrew poetry, repetition of the same thing said slightly different, differently for emphasis. Whom shall I fear? And of whom shall I be afraid? The answer, nobody. Nobody. And in the second verse, David simply emphasizes what he has already said. He says, even though the evildoers assail me, they come to eat up my flesh. Now, what is he dealing with? Cannibalism here? No. That's believed by many scholars to be an expression of slander, even though people slander, even though there is a war waged against me, even though there is an army against me, he says, yet I will be confident in this. Okay, David, question. How? How can you be confident when it seems your life is being annihilated, you are being assaulted, you are facing anxiety? Verse 4, we come to David's first point, or my first point from David's psalm. One thing he said, I have asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after. First of all, then, we can find relief from anxiety by gazing on the Lord. One thing. Charles Spurgeon said, divided aims tend to distraction, weakness, and disappointment. One could certainly understand if David said, the one thing I'm looking for is relief from these circumstances, is that my enemies would be put in their place, is that my anxiety would find some reprieve. But rather he says this, no, here's one thing, there's one thing that I'm going to seek after, and that is this that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, all the days of my life. 
Hey, can I ask you, if there was one thing, at this point in your journey, what's one thing that you're seeking after today? What is that one motivating thing? Again, quoting from Spurgeon, he said this, desires are seeds which must be sown in the good soil of activity or they will yield no harvest. We shall find our desires to be clouds like clouds without rain unless followed by practical endeavors. And what David does in these few verses here is he explains exactly what it means, how he's going to go about gazing on the beauty of the Lord. And so when David says this, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, my mind goes back to when I was a youngster in elementary school, and it was one of the first times I ever either heard this psalm read or heard my dad preach on it. And when I heard this thought, one thing I desire is to go to church all the days of my life, my response was, are you serious? How horrible. Who would want to go to church all day? Well, obviously, David is not thinking of packing up his things, moving from the palace into the tabernacle. Rather, what is he saying here? That I may dwell in the house, the abiding place where God is all the days of my life. What he is simply saying here, folks, is I want to be in that perpetual dwelling in the very presence, the known and experienced presence of God. In essence, he's saying, I want to be at home. I want to be at home in God's place. I want to be where God is. Several years ago, actually when I was a Bible school student, I was introduced to this great little booklet entitled The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence. And we know very little about his career other than the fact that he served in the kitchen for a religious order known as Carmelites in the city of Paris. And what this little booklet does is simply recounts a number of conversations and letters between Brother Lawrence and a few key people in his life. And one of the gems that we find in here relates to what David's talking about here in Psalm 27. And Brother Lawrence says this, the time for business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great a tranquility as if I were on my knees at the blessed sacrament. Well, I don't know about you folks. I, I wish I could say that was me too. I'm, you know, as, as one writer has put it, I would love to have that consciousness of God that is so diffused throughout the whole of my day rather than coagulated here and there. Would you say with David, that's your desire? But David says there's two activities, refers to two activities in this gaze seeking uh, the Lord and dwelling in his presence and they're simply this we just quickly will kind of skim over them that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and that I may inquire in his temple the King James translate that word gaze to behold it's used in a literal sense to see something with the eye but it's also used in a metaphorical sense a mystical sense sometimes 
as in an ecstatic state of vision, but it is always with perception and with understanding. And the word to inquire in his temple, some have translated that meditate, which is legit. It really comes from the word to plow, as in to open it up for investigation, to contemplate. But in this sense, the word has a nuance that it is done with pleasure. Now, here's the thing I want to stress about these two things. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, inquire in his temple, and it's simply this. These are activities you cannot do in a hurry. There is a huge difference between gazing on the beauty of the Lord and glancing. Gazing and inquiring used in this passage take time. What would best describe our time that we spend with God? Would we say it's gazing, unhurried gazing? Or is it a glance through the drive-thru? Is it a glance? Well, some may legitimately say, Bill, my, my job requires effort and concentration. And as much as I'd love to, I, how can I ponder and relish in the presence of God? It's a great question. Think of it this way. When you're worried about something, I mean anxious about something, how often does that come to your mind? Do you have to work through the day and say, oh, man, I haven't worried for an hour. I should worry. And I'm going to have my morning worry times. And just before to bed, I'll end the day with a nice season of worrying. Well, as ridiculous as that may sound, that's how some of us live, isn't it? I believe what Rick, it was Rick Warren who said this. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Or, or let me put it in a more positive light. If when a person is engaged to be married and the day in which they will solemnize their nuptial vows, that's clergy speak for get married, how often do they think of that significant other person? Okay, let me get personal. Let me meddle a bit. How often does our mind gravitate towards God? Gazing, not glancing. So, how can we find relief? How can we address our anxiety? By gazing on the beauty, the wonder, the depth, the awesomeness of who God is. Not by glancing, but by gazing. Secondly, come down to verse 7. We can address, find relief from our anxiety by seeking the Lord's face. Now, there's a significant change in verse 7 here. The first six verses, David is speaking to others or to himself. But now, verse 7, David is, a, is communicating, speaking directly to God. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Now, and then verse 8, you have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, I will seek your face. Now, something that our translation isn't capable of indicating here is that when we read in verse 8 that God said, seek my face, that is a command that is given to more than one person. It's in the plural. 
And what that means, folks, is this. This is not something that we are to be doing solely on our own. This seeking the face of God is something we do in the company of other people. And this is by no means the first time this directive admonition or whatever has been given to seek the face of God. If we were to go back to 1 Chronicles 16, verse 11, here's what we read. Seek the Lord in his strength. Let me emphasize it as though he is saying, seek his presence continually. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is just where the children of Israel are about to go into the land. And God is saying, look, you're going to follow false gods. But I'm a God of mercy. And there will come a time when you will return to me. In verse 29 of Deuteronomy 4, we read this. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay, so what does it mean to seek the face of God? Well, last week, Hermano Jesus took us beautifully through Psalm 63 where he answered that very question. If you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to do so. But in essence here, the, the, the word that's used in this psalm means to seek out by any method, but there's a nuance here, especially by worship and prayer. To seek God by worship and prayer. Do you ever consider worship an actual seeking after God? Like typically we think of it as something, our expression to God, which of course it is. But there are times, folks, when we worship God and when we are being led so wonderfully to the throne of grace so regularly by our staff, we are actually, in essence, seeking God, seeking his face. Well, there's another passage, of course, where the face of God becomes prominence, one for with which many, if not most of us, are familiar. It's often quoted as a benediction at the end of our services. Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his countenance, his face upon you and give you his peace. And what we see there is that the face of God, the very presence of God is tied in intimately to his grace and to his peace. Well, coming back to Psalm 27, we look in verse 9, David asks God, Hide not your face from me. Now, the, the first ones to hear this psalm or sing it would probably have an image come to mind, and that would be this. It would be of a king who would only allow those on whom he was willing to bestow his grace and favor to be in his presence, in other words, to see his face. And if a king were to hide his face from any one of his subjects, that meant that subject was out of the parameters of his grace and favor. And David is saying, oh, God, don't do that to me. Don't let your grace and favor, don't let me be excluded from that. But David says that and prays that with confidence because in the very next verse he says this, for my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. The Lord will accept me. I don't think David is saying actually that his mom and dad literally abandoned him but I think what he is saying is, you know, there's no greater love, some would say on planet Earth, than the love of a parent for a child. And the thought of a parent abandoning a child is abhorrent. But even that beautiful, powerful love of a 
parent that would never abandon his child, by comparison to God's love for us, looks like abandonment. David was confident because he was seeking the face of God. So how can we address our anxiety? How do we find relief from anxiety? By gazing on the beauty of the Lord, not glancing. By seeking the face of the Lord, not stressing. And finally, verse 14, by waiting for the Lord. Wait for the Lord, David says, verse 14. Be strong, let your heart take courage. And he repeats it again. Wait for the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, friends. Waiting is not one of my spiritual gifts. I sometimes put it down to the fact that I'm Scottish. I've got Scottish heritage, and no Scot is going to wait for anyone, especially an Englishman. However, I, what the word wait here, the prime root, literally interesting word, means to bind together, like twisting together as if we were making a piece of rope. All right, what's that got to do with it? Well, rope that is properly twisted is robust and strong. So the expressions that follow here, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage, really are all uh, walking around the same concept of this idea of being properly twisted together. These three exhortations, to wait on the Lord, to be strong, to let your heart take courage, provide for us three strands of the same piece of rope. Now, what David is saying here has virtually nothing to do with uh, passively and impatiently wringing one's hands. And why can we do that? Especially in a season of anxiety, of distress. How, how can we have the confidence to wait on the Lord. I'll tell you how we can, folks, because what has become one of my life mottos, and many of you have heard me say it way too many times, but I don't apologize, and it's simply this. God is never doing nothing. He is always doing something. What has become one of my very favorite courses in these recent days is Waymaker, Promise Keeper, light in the darkness, and there's a line in that's repeated. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Do you believe that? Really, do you believe that right now in your circumstances? Are you able to say, I can wait on the Lord. I am waiting on the Lord. I can be strong. I am strong. And my heart will take courage. Why? Because God is for me. Because God is always doing something. So let's sprout all these thoughts together. How is it that we can address our anxiety? By gazing on the beauty of the Lord by seeking the Lord, seeking his face, by waiting on the Lord, knowing his strength. I'm wondering, is there any one of these three which for you at this moment are a bit of a struggle? That lingering in his presence, beholding the beauty 
and the wonder of who God really is? Or have we lost the sense of wonder about who he is and what he does? Is it, is it seeking him? Is it driving to know him? Is it longing to be in his presence? Or is it waiting for him? See, this is not a message that with the intent of guilting you or shaming you, you carnal, faithless, self-reliant people. Rather, I genuinely want to encourage us all, myself included, that regardless of the level of anxiety with which we are living right now, and I am aware that some of you, for some of you, it is immense. God longs for us to see him to get a soul full of his beauty. So what are we going to do with this? Well, I have an assignment for you. The teacher in me won't die. So here's what I want to challenge and encourage you to do. You may already have a reading program in which you go through scripture in your own plan, but let me encourage you to add this one. I'd like to encourage you over this next week, just over the next seven days, to take Psalm 27 and read it twice a day. One, if you can, first thing in the morning, and secondly, last thing at night, before you put your head on your wee pillow. Read Psalm 27. Read it slowly. Read it in a couple of different versions or translations. Does the verse stand out? Mark it up. It, memorize it. Do that. Memorize it even better. All right? And if you can't squeeze it into the morning, then squeeze it into the night before you go to rest and read this psalm. And be reminded, this is making time for gazing, not glancing, for seeking, not stressing, for waiting, not worrying. Amen? Let me pray with you. Eternal God and Father, how we bless you for the gift of your precious word. I am so thankful, Lord, that you did not candy coat, you did not edit David's expressions of anxiety, concern, fears. You've included them in scripture so that through them we can hear your heart, and I pray you would do that. I pray for my brothers and sisters who hear and have been been part of what we've been sharing in these last few moments, that you would take the words of your word and not just the words of my sermon, but the words of your word and apply them to our hearts. For those who are particularly under a burden of anxiety, oh God, bring relief. We ask in the name of Jesus and for his precious and dear name's sake. Amen. Amen. And I would like to give you a benedictio, a good word. I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to give you my own. I don't know if you're supposed to do it. What are you going to do? Fire me? Well, I've written this benediction on the basis of what Psalm 27 says and brought in some other scripture to it. But here is my prayer for you and for me as we go into this week, and it's simply this. May you experience the depth and wonder of God's 
beauty as you linger and ponder in his presence. May you be wrapped in the grace and the embrace of his acceptance, full acceptance, as you seek his face. And may you abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit as you wait for him and expect his strength. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you, dear friends.